Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 17. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into this inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to each other, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear God, Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quieted down up for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me in the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is, it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for us. O Lord, have, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in belly of the ship three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let me again welcome you. My name's Brantz. I'm the pastor here at Christ City Church. And uh, it's my joy to bring you the word of God this morning from this passage that we've just read uh, after Jonathan um, Ings, uh, excellent introduction from last week. So we'll be looking further now at chapter one. Um, but with all of that said, we need the Lord's help. I need the Lord's help. So if you'd pray with me as we begin, that would be great. Now, Father, we come to you and we come... Uh, confessing our need for you. Lord, even those of us that don't yet 
maybe even feel our need for you, we pray that we would, that we begin to see your infinite and great and wonderful mercy, your power, and your kindness to us as we turn to you. Lord, would you teach us through Jonah? Would you bless us now uh, by your Holy Spirit and through the, the words that we are looking at in your scriptures? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I I said, we're in our second sermon right now in the book of Jonah in the short series we're going to have this fall, and we're looking at chapter one today. We're going to read the whole of chapter one throughout the sermon again, so you hold tight. Uh, We'll get it a couple different times in different ways uh, in this series as we keep looking at it. And in this chapter, what we're going to see is that God's mercy and his power are always bigger and better than our sin and rebellion. You see, God's mercy and his power are always bigger and always better than our sin and our rebellion. And we're going to see that in two simple points. We're going to look at Jonah's flight and God's pursuit. We're going to jump right into it this morning, looking at verses 1 to 3. I'll read them for you, and we'll consider Jonah's flight. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All right, to understand what's happening in these three verses, we just need to revisit some context again. First, what we need to understand is that in the Bible, Jonah's response to God's word is shocking. This is a shocking response to the word of God coming to a prophet, a God. Because when God, most high, the creator of everything, of heaven and on earth, when he comes and he shows up and he tells a prophet, one of his prophets, to obey him, they obey And how could they not obey? They can't resist the Lord God Almighty. They do his will. And shockingly, right here at the beginning of this prophetic book, Jonah does not obey God's command to go to Nineveh. He runs the opposite direction. I have a little map to to put up to illustrate this for you. Nineveh would have been about 1,300 kilometers journey for for, uh, Jonah one direction. And Tarshish is about as far as you can get the other direction. He fled from obedience to God directly and opposite to what God had called him to do. And that leads us to the second thing we need to know in the context of the book of Jonah as we look at it. We need to know about Nineveh. Because only knowing about Nineveh will help us to understand why Jonah fled. See, Nineveh was an interesting place. Jonathan talked a little bit about this uh, last week. And I went down um, innumerable nerdy Nineveh rabbit holes um, this week because I was fascinated by Nineveh. And so I read all these academic articles about the history of Nineveh. And we don't need to go into all of that, although I'd love to talk to you about it if you're interested. Um, What we do need to to understand are the two things that God says about Nineveh when he tells Jonah to go there. He says two things in this passage. He says that Nineveh is a great city and that Nineveh is an evil city. That their evil has arisen up before him, meaning that their wickedness is very, very great. And both those things, by the way, fit with the historical and the archaeological record that we have about Nineveh. 
Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about the, the nerdy stuff. Um, it was a very great city. Uh, we have over 20,000 stone tablets from Ashurbanipal's library today. We've found that through the archaeological digging at that site, and that gives us a historical record of Nineveh going back, 2400, going back to 2400 BC, far before Jonah. It's very, very interesting. But beyond that, actually archaeologists, archaeologists today will date the site of Nineveh, that city, back to about 6000 BC. We don't know much about it, but just that it was there. It's been there for a long, long time. Isn't it interesting? What, we, what that tells us is that Nineveh was a center of civilization, a center of agriculture, of culture in general, a center of the arts, a center of regional dominance for several thousand years. It was indeed a great city. But as God says to Jonah, it's not just very great, it's very wicked. See, Nineveh was famous for its immorality and its pagan worship and its cruelty. And moreover, beyond this, Nineveh was representative of Assyria, who was the regional superpower at the time and Israel's arch enemy. And eventually, Assyria, represented by Nineveh, would utterly crush Israel, utterly destroy them, and then resettle the survivors that were left throughout the Assyrian uh, empire. And they eventually became known as the lost 10 tribes of Israel scattered around Assyria. It's a great city. It's a wicked city. So if you think about Jonah's call, Jonah's call to go to Nineveh is a little bit like God asking a Jew in 1942 Germany to stand up in Berlin and to rail against Nazism. Well, this, is a, this is a pretty significant, crazy thing that God's asking Jonah to do. But what's interesting is that even though that's the truth, I think, that that, that would be like that, Jonah's call was like that, we're going to see as we get into Jonah that it wasn't fear that was the primary reason for Jonah's disobedience. It wasn't that he was afraid. Now, the primary reason that Jonah didn't go to Nineveh was because Jonah would rather have God destroy Nineveh than that Nineveh would receive God's mercy. That's what he'd rather have happen. In his heart of hearts, I want them destroyed, God. That's what I want. If I'm honest, I want you to wipe out my enemies, kill them all. I would rather that happen rather than that you be merciful. And what is mercy, by the way? Mercy, the definition for mercy is just not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is what happens when when you've done wrong and you have to pay for the crime, for the thing that you've done, but the person who you've you've sinned against or you've wronged says, you know what, I'm I'm gonna let it go. I'm not gonna make you pay for that. I'm not gonna to make you meet the punishment that you deserve, the consequence that you deserve. That's what mercy is. And that's really interesting because when it came to his own sin and the sins of his own people, Jonah was someone who was glad to receive God's mercy. See, in the Bible, Jonah is mentioned more than once. There's another important passage of scripture that tells us about him. And what we learn there is that Jonah comes from the northern kingdom of Israel. And that was a place that was famous for its own rebellion and wickedness against the Lord God. Wickedness that included but was not limited to child sacrifice to false gods. And Nineveh, or Jonah comes from a very 
wicked place himself. What you see, though, when you look at 2 Kings 14, 23 to 27, is the way that Jonah was glad to receive God's mercy and to be a prophet of God's mercy to his people. Look, I'll read it for you. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's a wicked king. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. This is a good thing happening to a bad king through the word of God that came to his prophet, Jonah. For the Lord, and here's the reason why, This stuff happened because the Lord saw the affliction of Israel. This wicked, evil people, he saw that their affliction was very bitter. For there was none left bond or free. There was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Isn't that incredible? It's a picture of the mercy of, incredible mercy of God to wicked Israel to whom Jonah was glad to be a prophet. See, Jonah is okay with God being a merciful God. He loves that God's a merciful God. He's okay being a prophet of God's mercy. He's just not okay with God being merciful with the people he doesn't think deserve it. Something he's not okay with. I'll take it, but don't give it to the people I don't think deserve it. That was Jonah's problem. So when God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, the people he thinks don't deserve God's mercy, that's when Jonah runs from God. And in this way, a lot is said in the first three verses of Jonah. These three verses shockingly highlight the self-righteous hypocrisy of Jonah. But before we condemn him, I think that we need to let even these three verses shine a light into our own hearts. Because I think we're a lot more like Jonah than we realize. In so many ways, we're just like him. For example, how often do we gladly accept God's mercy and even his blessings on us, but withhold those things from others? And aren't we like Jonah that we often judge others for their sin while at the same time justifying or ignoring our own sin? Isn't it true that sometimes we think of those who are in rebellion against God as our enemies rather than our mission field? We see them turn away from the Lord. We think they're our enemies. They're opposed to us. We don't think of them as our mission field. Isn't it true that we have neighbors or groups of people that we really just don't like if we're honest? People that we don't want to talk with about Jesus. See, I think we're much more like Jonah than we realize. And we think consciously or subconsciously that we are more deserving of God's mercy than other people are. And because we think we're more deserving than they are, we don't take the time 
to share the good news of Jesus with those who are far away. And the question for us, I don't want to leave you hanging here. And the question for us that I think is important then is, well, how can that change? <laughs> if that's true in my own heart, how, how could I begin to be changed? How could I become more merciful to others in all those places where I've been self-righteous and smug and proud like Jonah? Well, the first step is by admitting that you are undeserving like Nineveh. If you don't want to be like Jonah, you have to start by admitting that you're undeserving of God's mercy like Nineveh. See, Paul writes about the miracle of God's grace and mercy to save us in Romans 3, 23 to 24. And he doesn't say that any of us deserve God's mercy more than others. Now he writes that the starting place for every human being is the same in their relationship with God. I'm going to read you this passage. Paul says this, he says, for all have sinned, not some, but all, all of humanity labeled by one title, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and yet are justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation, mercy for any of us, isn't because of our deserving friends. It's because God shows mercy and grace and compassion to those who don't deserve it, including us. And when we remember that the only way that we could be saved was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to be born as a human being. He had to suffer. He had to die on the cross for our sins to save us. So we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. When we remember that, it stops our self-righteousness in its tracks. Just stops it. <laughs> I'm not more deserving than anybody. Jesus had to die to save me. I don't deserve God's mercy. And you don't either. And yet he pours it out in love for us, even when we still hated him. So to become truly merciful, first we must admit how undeserving of God's mercy we are. But maybe that sounds crazy to some of you. You're like, Brent, what are you talking about? <laughs> you think that for me to, to have some empathy for some human beings, I have to admit my sin first? And I want to say, yeah, that is what I'm talking about, but it also isn't. Because I'm not talking about empathy. We're not talking about, about the virtue that's in our city of, of caring about others and their suffering. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about something much bigger than empathy. We're talking about what it takes for you to love and want the best for your enemies. We're talking about what it takes for you to love and to want the best for those people that you naturally hate. And to have that heart change take place, there's one thing that's needed. You need to first Receive the miracle of God's mercy and salvation through Christ Jesus for you and your sin. So what you got to receive first so that you can be merciful to others is just knowing how much he's loved me. There's actually a person in the Bible who illustrates this really, really well for us, this change we're talking about. His name's the Apostle Paul. And he planted tons of churches just trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mercy of God with more and more people. And he shared Jesus with those who stoned him, with those who beat him, who imprisoned him. And he did the most to evangelize the wicked cities of Rome in the first century than anyone else. But he didn't think he was more deserving of God's grace than those he ministered to. He thought he was less deserving. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he writes, 
the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See, Paul's greatest joy was to share God's mercy with other people. Mercy that every day he still marveled at, that God loved him, that God showed me a sinner mercy, that God forgave me of my sins, even when I was the least deserving. So let me challenge you. If you find that your heart is hard-hearted towards someone or towards some people like Jonah's is, but I want to invite you to keep coming back to this church. Keep exposing yourself to the light of God's word. Read the Bible. Ask God to, to convict you of your sin. We don't just read the Bible to feel good about ourselves, Christ City. We read the Bible to have the Lord God Almighty shine his light of righteousness and justice and truth upon our hearts so we can see what's going on in here for what it really is. And then in seeing us for who we really are, then that will lead us to worship and to marvel at God for the bigness of his mercy and for what that truly is. See, Jonah thought he was more deserving of God's mercy than Nineveh, so he ran from God. But as we'll see in our second point, God's pursuit, God's sovereign justice is something that none of us is capable of running from. Look at verses 4 to 15. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, Let's cast lots. We might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Christ City, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And in Jonah's story, it's abundantly clear. See, Jonah thought that running from God 
would be better for him than obedience to God. You can imagine Jonah receiving the word of God, having it come to him, and how that provoked a moment of crisis in his life. So when God's word comes to any of us, it provokes a crisis in our lives. Is it better to obey? Or is it better to go my own way? And on that boat, as Jonah ran away, sailors freaking out upstairs on the deck, Jonah sleeps peacefully, resting in blissful ignorance of where his resistance to God was leading him. But looking back, you can imagine the conversation he wished he had with himself. Jonah, what were you thinking? Didn't you realize how this is all going to work out? See, Christ City, what we need to learn from Jonah is that sinful rebellion against God never delivers on its promises. It never does. No matter what we're pursuing, no matter how well we think it's going to be going, it's not going to work out for you. It's not going to. In fact, rebellion against God and against his word, the Bible, it always, always leads away from the relationship and life that you were made for with God. It doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. The Apostle Paul, he he highlights this again with one of the churches that he wrote to in Romans 6, 20 to 21. And he asks them, he says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? How is it working out for you? Did it actually lead you where you wanted it to go? Christ City, is your sin leading you where you want it to go? Paul says the end of those things is death. So I'm wondering this morning, where is the Holy Spirit convicting you right now that you are running from God? Wondering, are you running from obedience to something that you know God's word teaches? Are you running from from using your gifts and your talents and your resources to serve Jesus as the first priority of your life? Are you running from sharing God's mercy with someone in specific that he's put on your heart? That rather than than listen to him to, to be the person he's called you to be in that relationship, you're resisting it. See, we might not all be called to Nineveh, But everyone who's put his or her faith in Jesus is called to live faithfully and obediently and courageously for the glory of God. Christian, if you follow Jesus, God has called you to be an unashamed witness of his great mercy through Jesus. And the only way the people in this city, in this neighborhood of Kitsilano, The only way that they're going to be saved is if we are obedient to what God has commanded us. He loves and actually exclusively only works through his people in powerful and incredible ways as we communicate the word of God to others. See, if you obey, it won't be easy. If you obey, it will cost you everything. And if you're brand new to Christianity this morning, let me talk to you for a minute. Following Jesus isn't easy. And it's not going to be easy. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, following Jesus requires self-denial and sacrifice. But as we turn to Jesus in trusting faith and we obey him, it does lead to abundant and overflowing life. We see that, first of all, in the example of Jesus, our Savior. Jesus' obedience to the Father meant first that, that when he came to earth to suffer as a human being, he had to die as a sacrifice for our sins. So the call of God meant for Jesus. And yet, what did God through do through Jesus' obedience? Well, three days later, God raised Jesus from death. God brought infinite, abundant life as he resurrected Jesus as a conqueror of Satan and sin and death and made him the source of salvation for everyone who would ever turn to him to receive it. So God's done through the obedience of Jesus. See, Jesus said in John 12, 24 to 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So please, this morning, if you are someone who's running from God. Can I just ask you to stop? Listen to the word of God. Know that it's not going to work out well for you in the way that you desire, but that rebellion against God will lead to your destruction. On the other hand, obedience to God, crying out to him for mercy, admitting your sin, Obeying him even with suffering will result in glory and life for you and those around you. I want to encourage you as well, don't ever think it's too late to turn to God that you're too far gone. Because Jonah was thrown overboard, not in repentance. Jonah was thrown overboard, still in rebellion against God, willing to die in fighting him. But as he floated down further and further and further, he became afraid. He was terrified to where this was leading him. And what did he do? He cries out to God for mercy. And what does God do to undeserving Jonah? He saves him. None of us are too far gone to churn today to be used by God, to be saved by God, to receive God's mercy. God's mercy and his power, they are bigger than your sin and your rebellion. Well, Jonah 1 ends with a rebellious prophet sinking to his death, but praise God, that's not where the story of his church ended. See, the story of of God working in history is full of the stories of anti-Jonahs. People with really hard hearts who saw their sin, admitted it for what it was, and received the mercy of God and were changed to become witnesses the life that God's working through Jesus. Today across our four churches, we're having a special morning. It's our 10-year anniversary for Christ City Church. And by God's grace and obedience and sacrifice, um, 
by God's grace story, uh, obedience and sacrifice that leads to life is part of all of our story. It's part of the story of who we are here as a neighborhood church in uh, Kitsilano. Through God's grace, uh, there's been many examples of faithful obedience uh, of those here in this congregation who were part of um, the church uh, that was here before Christ City, the Bridge Church, before we became Christ City. And by God's mercy and grace, there's many, many examples that are in the story and the history of Christ City Church and how we've come to be part of the fruitful vision that we're part of today. Um, what I want to show us this morning is a video about some of the faithfulness and the mercy of God as he works through people who are willing to obey. We're going to celebrate what he's done uh, through one of our sister churches, Christ City Church South Vancouver, and the beginning of the Christ City Network that we are part of that's now led to to four different churches in Vancouver and in Surrey. Um, So we're going to watch that video and just praise God for his faithfulness. All the glory to him. To us, Christ City means God's people loving the Lord Worshipping together, the biblical Christ City is a place where the gospel is central to everything that we do. Christ City is my spiritual home. It's where I want to gather every Sunday. To worship on Sunday morning, but also midweek programs. The word home keeps coming to mind for me. We learn about Jesus, and we learn about our We enjoy the community Gathering with the church is very helpful. Christ City is, for me, tangible evidence of God's faithfulness that when he leads you, uh, you can trust him. We would like to go back, further back, actually a lot back. 1970, when we first moved to Canada and we were looking for a church and some people suggested to us that Vancouver MB Church on 43rd was a good church to go to. We had wonderful times here over the years. But then there came also a time where the church got smaller. People moved, people left. There was a lot of people that were moving out of the city and we were losing members and the the congregation was diminishing in numbers. And so it was more difficult to do church. We're having trouble getting traction and it was a real challenge getting that critical mass. We were wondering how will this all Mm -hmm. continue? and um, we were a little discouraged. There was a weekly prayer meeting that was happening on Monday nights, and we were praying for some revival at our church. We were really praying that this building would become a place that would be filled with families and children from the local community. One day we heard that the elders of the church were gathering and seeking the Lord on how to continue here. We heard also that they were thinking outside the box. Well, what would that mean? We needed an out-of-the-box solution, not just a standard go and hire another pastor, canvas the the area for more congregants. It it needed something new, it needed something different. We heard about this other church that was being planted in the area, and we didn't know anything about them. And we heard from a friend that we should get in touch with this other church and see what was happening there. And so we had a meeting as South Hill Leadership together with a guy named Brett Landry. I remember sensing a call to plant a church in Vancouver since before we got married. And we hadn't been here. We didn't know the city. We didn't know the need. We didn't know why. We were living in Red Deer, Alberta at the time. Brett had this undeniable call to plant a church in Vancouver. And I had no choice but to get on my knees before God and and really truly ask him if he would lead us. 
the Lord gave me this verse that day that says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. The Lord had to form us into the kind of people who could plant and lead a church. The Lord had to build into us a lot of things. Uh, we were never alone in the conversation. We were never alone in the journey, uh, yet it was a massive step of faith. We were connected with uh, Brett and Allison, who were going to plant a church here in South Vancouver. And he came in and he shared the vision of Christ City Church. And he talked about a vision and a network of neighborhood churches. And we thought, wow, this, this really sounds like something we can get after. And it very quickly became clear to us that uh, the best course of action for us uh, would be to turn the keys over to Christ City and let there be a fresh church plant. They approached us and said, we believe that we are called to conclude our season of ministry at the same time as it seems as though God has you beginning a season of ministry. Why don't you move into this building, plant your church here in our building, and we'll just give you the keys. We understood that the church was not ours. This was God's church. And so we had to give it over to God. And we, we didn't know exactly what that was gonna be, honestly. We didn't know Christ City. We didn't know the people but we felt God was leading us in that direction to be obedient to Him and to just release it into His care. What they didn't know is that we'd been praying for two years that we would have a church building that we would be able to plant in. Uh, with real estate costs being what they are and development being what it is in this city, we knew that that would have to be an act of God. And so, yeah, in, in the summer of 2013, they handed us the keys as a gift. It was very, very overwhelming to see how you can have amazing plans and you can be following God, and then He has a better plan. Yeah. And He's so faithful, and He really did provide above and beyond what we could have asked as we were getting ready to plant Gracie. They said, hey, we were hoping to plant with 100 people. And right away, you know, we went home, we talked about it for, I think, for a couple minutes, and said, yeah, absolutely, this is where we need to be. The first day this church opened up again, we came back here and uh, we haven't gone anywhere else since. <laughs> we feel we belong. Yeah. The good Lord has answered our prayers in such a, a beautiful way that now you think about how our church is filled with young people, young couples, and that is such an answer to prayer. God has more than answered the prayers that we prayed a long time ago. I think initially when we prayed, we prayed in faith, but we did not have vision for this abundance that God has provided in community and the way that he's been at work, not just here in Vancouver, but now also in other neighborhoods. Out of Christ City, South Vancouver, we were able to then plant a neighborhood church in Kitsilano and then East Van, and then just very recently uh, in Surrey. And the fruit that we have had now in 10 years is visible with the fourth church plant coming. That is only what God can do. It's just been amazing to see how God has worked in this neighborhood, planting other churches, planting now in Surrey, and maybe more planting to come. I see the growth of the church through seeing the growth of the children, 
not just the numbers of how many kids there are now, but how they're talking about the gospel and how children become youth leaders and they're, you know, mentoring the younger kids. I think that's an amazing indication of how this church has grown. Christ City is, <laughs> it's a dream. God has been so faithful and I'm so thankful that we said yes, that we took that leap of faith and that we trusted His faithfulness. God is at work in individual lives and He has changed me from being here. I have seen God using Christ City as a place where people can come and feel safe to share their burdens and to receive care. I can honestly say that through the power of the teaching and the messages, that has just reoriented my life to, to point to what matters. And it's, it's Jesus. My prayer for Christ City is that we would stay grounded on the truth of the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus, that Jesus came and he died and he gave his life for the church so that we could be an expression of his love to the world who are broken and in need of him. Nothing we're doing is new. It's just a continuation of what Jesus has always been doing. He made a promise that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And here we are, faithfully serving Jesus in 2023, having no idea that God would put us in the place that we are when we started this 10 years ago. There's a place to belong when you follow Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what your present is. There's a place to belong in the Church of Jesus Christ wherever you're at, and Christ City is just one of those places. By God's grace, one place among myriads of others where Christians have responded to the obedience of God and it's led to life. See, the best thing I think about the culture of, of what God's helped bless Christ City with is that, is that we are a church that know that it's not about us at all. We can celebrate God's faithfulness to us, but it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about each of us responding to the call of God in our lives to be obedient, to be generous, to be obedient to serve and to sacrifice to be obedient to a God who is sovereign and so good, so abundant in mercy and compassion to those who do not yet know Jesus. So where is the Spirit calling you to obey him? How can you be part of his mission together with us? Would you pray? Father, we come to you and we just ask that you would use this small testimony in a really short period of time, just a couple of years, 10 years, would you use the story of Jonah, your holy word, which has been producing fruit for far longer than, uh, than what's been happening the last decade. Would you use all of these things to challenge and to provoke us, to stir us up, to give generously and sacrificially and obediently to you. Lord, that, that you would be glorified, that we would bear much good fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ here in Kitsilano. We ask this in the power of your holy name. Amen.